Hello, everybody, and welcome to Toddler Purgatory. We're so happy to be here today. I'm one of your co-hosts, Molly. Hey, hey, I'm Blair. And today we are talking about getting outside with this frigidity that's happening. So cold. I mean, it is a deep freeze. Are we in a deep freeze? We're in a deep. It feels like we're in a deep freeze. I mean, Mother Nature's like, you're welcome. Yeah. Thank you. You think you're in charge? Wah-ha-ha-ha-ha. I'm in charge. Yeah, it's cold. It's very cold. It's cold, and it's this funny thing about getting outside, and really it's about getting our kids outside, right? Mm. And ourselves, of course, but, you know, we live in this increasingly indoor life with Mm -hmm. technology and, you know, really it's technology mostly. Yeah. (laughs) Like, we're all turning into indoor cats, you know, Mm -hmm. and there's... So many advantages, of course, to getting outside. And sometimes we just need a little reminder. We need a little bump. We need a little kick in your butt to get outside. I mean, what was it like for you when you were a kid, Molly? I spent like, I spent hardly any time indoors. Oh, I was not allowed to spend time indoors. (laughs) (laughs) Get out! Get out! And it was a no-brainer. Yeah. It was like a no-brainer. Like, I remember distinctly the times when we were inside, like, playing a board game. Mm-hmm. I think I've mentioned on the pod in the past, my mom, like, bringing in popcorn because they were few and far between. We were almost always outside. We'd come in for lunch and my mom would be like, okay, lunch is over, bye. <laughs> and we go back out. <laughs> and that's just the way it was. And, you know, I also, I grew up in Rhode Island. You grew up mostly in Germany, but you moved over here. When you were living in Germany, you were on a base. On a base, yeah. It was super safe. Yeah, that's... So it was like, I could leave when I was like eight, nine, and and my mom like wouldn't know where I was, but it wouldn't matter because it was just so incredibly safe. Yeah. And I wouldn't come home for hours. And she'd be like, oh, where were you? Oh, I was down by the creek. She's like, oh, all the way over there? Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes. Go get cleaned up. Time for dinner. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, go get cleaned. Wash the frog guts off your hands. (laughs) Because that's what we were doing. We were like... You know, mm. tomboys kind of or whatever. Like we were just outside. There was no question though. Like, but we were all outside. Yeah. Like my sister would be 10 and I'd be six and we would walk to our friend's house a mile away. Yeah. <laughs> because that's what we did. Or ride our bikes, of course. Did you get like, I remember we got the Nintendo, but still we got the Nintendo. I play with it for maybe like an hour tops and then I'd still go outside because that's where everybody else was. Yeah. I was obsessed with it for sure. You know, dunna, dunna, dunna. But <laughs> we didn't have Nintendo. Thanks for shoving it down my throat. Oh, I'm so sorry. Yeah, we had. Oh, don't worry. We had Atari. Oh. Much later than someone should have an Atari when everybody <laughs> else had Nintendo. Or, But I loved Atari. It was so fun. But yeah, when the Atari was put away, we didn't think about it. We didn't think about it at all. It's a, such a different time. So obviously, there are many good things about technology, of course. They're learning tools. They're saving our mm-hmm. But in some ways. So much smarter. <laughs> I was just a dummy playing outside. <laughs> yeah, right. I was fit, but I was dumb. <laughs> That's not true. That is not true. There are so many distractions online. When I was a kid, we would like ride our bikes to the end. I lived on a road called Weaver Hill Road in West Greenwich. Shout out Weaver Hill Road. Ooh, that sounds so posh. Oh, it's not. <laughs> it's just a you know a regular you know I grew up in Rhode Island I loved it I loved where I grew up Aww. we rode up like the, our big day we would say goodbye to my, our parents or my mom and dad make, went to went to work I guess I don't even remember mm. and we would ride our bikes to like McDonald's it was miles away 
It was miles away. You had to take water with you for the trek, for the journey. Oh, yeah. We would pack a backpack, but it was a big deal. It was an activity, which was great. And we need those kinds of activities even early, like so early. And it's about getting outside. It's about not always being inside. It's about broadening (laughs) our kids' world and teaching them all the things that go along with it. I read it from a couple of sources. Children today only spend half as much time playing outside as their parents did. Wow. Yep. That's not good. And parents aren't getting outside as much. It's such a bummer. And obviously, things are complicated by the pandemic. There's this article in Grazia Daily, uh, an English uh, publication, and it's written by Helen Russell, who's the author of How to Be Sad, The Key to a Happier Life, which I love the title. Oh, I know. I think I need to read it. (laughs) (laughs) And she writes, after years of research into happiness and sadness, I've learned that allowing children to experience risk and discomfort in nature is crucial to help them survive and thrive in the modern world. And that's something that came up again and again in my research for this, Mm -hmm, is that mm -hmm. it isn't just about getting outside, because I always think sunshine and exercise, right? We always know that's what helps our kids, right? Sunshine and exercise. But it's about all the other stuff they're learning while they're out there. A blog on Harvard Health website says sunshine and exercise, of course, and then they call it, because they're Harvard, executive function. Oh. Oh, okay, Harvard. Oh, sorry, Harvard. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) They call it executive function. These are the skills that help us plan, prioritize, troubleshoot, negotiate, and multitask. They are crucial for our success. And it's also about creativity, using our imagination. And these are skills that must be learned and practiced, they said. It's so true. We don't even think about the things that kids are learning when they're outside doing outside stuff that is going to benefit them when they're adults. Totally. I got to say this, that I've mentioned this a couple times on the pod that my son went to like a forest school and it was all outdoors all the time. And I just liked it because it was like play based. And I had just like trepidations of like teaching him things because I just feel like there's like a lot of pressure right now for parents to like teach and for them to like know a lot of things right outside of school so I was like all right let me just put them in this school where they just all they're doing is playing all day I know how to do that yeah and I remember when I went to the orientation there were a lot of parents who were like so how does this set my kid up for academic success and the leader of the school was like, well, you're not going to come out knowing, you know, your times tables, you know, in this preschool. She was like, but as far as communicating with others, kindness and learning how to interplay with each other, she's like, it's key. And that's what's going to help them when they get to, you know, when they go to their other more academic based schools. And I got to tell you, it's true. Yeah. My son, he's a little bit behind with, you know certain skills but I tell you he's got a lot of friends and the teacher says that he's like really great at playing and incorporating other kids and seeing things for what they are and utilizing his time well when he's outside Mm. I mean listen I get it I'm all for this I should do it more myself Yes, exactly. I feel like we can all use more of it. Well, the great news is today we're talking to a very special guest. Vahari. Vuhure. Today, later on the show, we're going to talk to Megan Fitzgerald, and we'll tell you all about her, but she's a co-founder of this program called Tinkergarten, which creates purposeful play opportunities to get everybody outside and away from screens. I'm very excited to talk to her because, like we mentioned, because of this deep freeze we're in, but also in general, I'd love to work her ear. Is that a thing? Work her ear? Work her, I would love to work her ear. 
That's not a thing. I think that's not a thing. <laughs> play, play them drums. <laughs> well, you know what? I'm going to stick to chit chat. We're going to talk to Megan about how to get our kids outside. Because let me tell you something. My son wants to be inside. The other day he said to me, what was I trying to get him out? Did I tell you this? I was trying to get him outside. And he goes, <laughs> so let's go outside and play in the snow or something. Because we're in Pennsylvania. We have plenty of snow. And he goes, mm, nah, I'll just take some extra screen time. So when your kid starts requesting or really just demanding extra screen time instead of going outside, you're going to need some tools to get them out there because it's going to be good for everybody. When we come back, we'll talk to Megan Fitzgerald. We can't wait. See you after the break. When you bring your child home for the first time, you want a baby monitor you can trust. When you choose Stork, you choose technology trusted to monitor 10 million babies in hospitals every year. Stork continuously tracks your baby's pulse rate, oxygen saturation, and temperature. Visit MassimoStork.com to learn more. Stork, a revolutionary baby monitor, is born. Stork is not a medical device. Read and understand all product labeling. Massimo data on file. I'm Margaret. And I'm Amy. And together we host the podcast, What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. Margaret, I would say you're sort of a where are my keys kind of mom. Correct. Sometimes I'll wear my kids kind of mom. <laughs> well, you're Amy more of a, we were supposed to leave 35 seconds ago, mom. I mean, touche. In each episode of What Fresh Hell, we come at a topic from our usually completely opposite perspectives. I bring the research. And I bring kind of the gimlet eye. Like, is that research really going to work, people? And almost 10 million downloads later, we're still laughing. We also talk to experts in the parenting field, plus parents with stories we can all learn from. We make each other laugh, we challenge each other's assumptions, and we have what we think is the best parenting community on the internet. Check out What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome back to Toddler Purgatory. We are so excited. Blair. How excited are we? Pumped. You might call us pumped. <laughs> to welcome our next guest to Toddler Purgatory, Megan Fitzgerald is the co-founder of Tinkergarten, which creates purposeful play opportunities that get children and families away from screens and outdoors together in nature. Yes. Come on. Yes. <laughs> when she is with her kids, Megan is that unapologetic mom who plays along with them in mud, dances in the pouring rain. Oh, she's fun mom. She's a fun mom. Okay. She's a fun mom. And builds a darn good snow igloo with her bare hands. Welcome, Megan. Hi, so glad to be here. Hi, Molly. Hi, Blair. Really excited to be with you guys. That's amazing. It is a lot of fun. It's a very fun job, both the mom part and the Tinker Garden part. So, <laughs> We talked a little bit before we started recording about founding it in Brooklyn. What gave you the idea for Tinker Garden? How did it come about? Yeah, Tinker Garden came... So my co-founder is my also my life partner, my husband, mm. uh, Brian. And it actually came before we were even parents and, in fact, before we even lived in Brooklyn. So we, I was an elementary school principal. I just kept finding when I was working with the parents and the teachers of my elementary kids, just felt like the world was being taken over by a lot of structure, more screens than we kind of saw coming, and that kids really didn't have the kind of time to go outside, to play freely, to figure things out with the other kids in the neighborhood. And we could see why parents weren't doing that because there were no other kids out there anymore. So what do we do 
And we started to just talk a lot about what were the formative experiences that we had that helped us build independence and resilience and these kinds of skills we're talking about. Creativity, you know, making whole worlds out of the area underneath the bush, you know, in the courtyard of where Brian grew up or, you know. So what were these experiences? And then how could we create new opportunities for families to create those experiences. And so that's where Tinker Garden sort of started, where we came up with the name and the idea of it. But it wasn't until we were a year into parenting and we had this little person on our hands and Saturday would roll around and we're like, what do we do? You know, what do we do? And then we started subjecting our friends to these experiments and started to begin to build a curriculum and really research how kids learn through play. What are the ideal experiences you can have outside? And then how can you create a program around that? Which is so crazy because I teach acting in the universities and I have a hard time with my kids now just diving into their imaginations and into their creativity because they're older now, right? And I only have them for a semester, two semesters, couple hours a week. And I find now that I'm more implementing play in college, right? Yes. Where I'm implementing this idea of just like, let's go with our imaginations. And they're really stunted and smart, beautiful, wonderful, talented kids. Absolutely. But just, there's this stunting of like imagination and play and the fear of, you know, doing it wrong. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I found that for a while now, and I reflect on my work as an educator in the system, this really raising kids who are attuned to please the grown up mm-hmm. in the room. Yeah. Right? Yes. And to perform. So this is a group of people who have been trained to perform in order each task. So it's hard when the tasks get open-ended. Right. And there is no it's not clear how to please and it's really like learning and creating for the sake of it, which is where right. all great things to my mind kind of come from. And the unfortunate part of that is that our world is sort of ever changing. I think I just read an Economist article that was like, yeah, you were hoping for a little, you know, security and peace and kind of calmness in 2022. No. Not probably going to happen, people. <laughs> You're like, okay. Oh, God. Yeah. The hits just keep on coming. It's going to keep on coming. And we've got to be really persistent and flexible and resilient. And these skills that we're, we need for the world, which we probably always needed for the world, but feel ever all the more important these days. Like those are harder when you're focusing on the right answer or focusing on, you know, trying to please that person. So I think we have to really work with littles to switch that and to go in and be like, no, think messy, think freely, think, you know, outside of whatever box you have. So I think that's a lot of what what I was seeing too in my student teachers and my kind of new graduates were sort of like, wow, these people are very attuned to needing all the directions, right? Or needing to comfort of structure when the world doesn't really provide that so much. So of course there, we have these challenges, right? Like it's so true. My son is five and he definitely has that thing in him of wanting to do the right thing. Like I see him looking at our faces. I see him like wanting to provide the right answer, whatever that might be in that situation. And sometimes it's hard for me to break him out of that. So is that about like more unstructured play Mm -hmm. or is that, you know, because he's an only child. So I grew up with an older sister. Well, the first thing to do is realize that that's a really good thing, actually. So even these kids like wanting to please, wanting to look to the Mm -hmm. person who is older than you for their feedback 
is a really good thing, actually. And that's how we learn. Right. We've learned in mixed age groups forever. So if there was an older kid, they'd be like, what do you think of this? They'd be watching what they do. They're looking to you. Like, this is good. It's just you get the chance to say what you get to set the focus. So you can do things like setting the focus on mm. yes and. So, oh, that's great. But what else could you do? Right. You know, so you can give praise for one thing, but then always add another question so that that you kind of train kids to think that, well, that was one good answer, but there's so many possible good answers. What else could you do? Or you can do things like praise effort. So, wow, you worked really hard on that. I noticed that. Mm. What was your approach? How did you approach it? And how would you approach it differently next time? Mm. Yeah. Rather than being like, good job. (laughs) You did a good job. Like, you know, so like, great. Yeah. I performed, you know, but it's not about the product of what I performed. It's the whole process. And it's this never ending. Yeah. And I think that's kind of what we try and teach the grownups because grownups come to Tinker Garden is a sort of never ending yes and experience of life. Wow. That's so cool that you noticed that. What else do you notice? Right. I know every interaction is not perfect and not going to like train the child or not train the child. But when you're playing or when you're exploring or going on a hike or, you know, what else could you sense? What else could you notice? What else could you wonder? And I think the more you can ask questions, the more you can prompt kids to think differently, the more you focus on the thinking and you kind of just their whole world broadens then. And that same box just gets bigger. Yeah. Less on the results, more on the process and the fun part getting there. So here's Blair and I, we're talking about the deep freeze that we're all in right now. <laughs> so mm-hmm. You guys, it is wild out there. So one thing we were talking about, so we have these obstacles. We have the technology that our kids want to be playing inside. Mm-hmm. We have the challenge that I look out on my street, which is a very sweet neighborhood. There's no other kids playing outside. And my kid's an only child. Now added on to that in winter, in the deep freeze that we're in, <laughs> is this sort of natural cold barrier. You open the door and it takes your breath away. Yes. So we have these barriers. How can we overcome these? How do I get my kid outside? What do I do? Great question. Well, first of all, take a deep breath. And if that needs to be inside, that's fine. Because <laughs> it's cold out. Yes, so cold. Oh, God. Oh, God. So cold. One thing that's good is that there's some really exciting research for moments like this that came out about two years ago that we as humans can get the benefits of being outdoors with just two hours a week. And it doesn't have to be two hours solid block. It can be in bits and pieces. So when you hit a winter time or someone's sick, think about it more as two hours across the week. And then anything over that is a bonus. I literally just wrote this down because I'm like, that is so good to know. Yeah. 120 minutes. It's great. Yes. So you can do more than that. You can certainly shoot for more than this. And I do think it helps for a little bit every day, but that little bit can be more little than you think it can be. And that helps to set a goal that's manageable because you're also building stamina. So at the beginning of the winter, we are less ready for it than toward the end in terms of our just adjusting to cold. So when we get the first big freeze like this, it feels overwhelming when later, once you've had a little more practice with it, we're in a groove, we can do more. So, I mean, my 11-year-old, I have to beg her to bring a coat. Part of that's being 11 too. But then my youngest freezes all the time. So we have to know who we have. So as long as you layer up and you set smaller goals for yourself, just go out and get your 120 minutes in whatever way you can during the week. So shoot for that. 
and really and lean into what's exciting about being cold, right? If you follow the Tinker Garden feed on any of the social channels, or we have a calendar every month, free activities that you can download, and we time it for the weather and the season and also you know cultural events and heritage months and things. So you can connect to cultural events, but you can also connect to it's cold right now. So this week is all about frozen treasure. Whether you're here in the Northeast where it's really cold or you're not, it's still a great time of year to freeze some fun blocks of ice and take them outside or go explore for ice outside. Just lean into ice because it's a magical part of winter and you can just pop a little bit of food coloring in a few cups of ice, you know, pop them out and take them outside. And then suddenly there's something new that captures your senses that kind of pulls your attention into the outside and might give kids a starting place to be intrigued and stick around a little longer. And so these kinds of activities where, you know, you can freeze a special toy inside a block of ice and you got to go outside and figure out how to get it out. Or, you know, there's a whole world of like simple winter, we call them invitations. They're just an invitation to come out and play a little bit. And then once you're out there for a little while, you build your stamina for being in the cold. And if ever it becomes uncomfortable to be in the cold, or it's kind of run its course, you can also bring nature inside. So you get benefits from using natural materials. So if you have a sensory bin or a bucket, fill it with sticks, fill it with snow and come inside and explore the snow. You're still getting natural materials. You're interacting with nature. You're just doing it in a more comfortable space. That's, you know, one feeling literally more comfortable and might be a little more under control for kids who aren't ready to do big swaths of time outside. Mm -hmm. So those are my two kind of ways to think about it. Little bits, little invitations, magical things to discover in your yard or wherever your outside space is that make it exciting to go out and stay out for a little longer. And then you can always bring it in if you need to. I mean, it's going to be really cold tomorrow. (laughs) So it's probably a day where, yeah, fill a bin of ice and snow and go to the bathtub and have at it, you know, and then that's really great, really great nature experience for kids. Our target, our demographic is parents of kids under the age of six. I love those two activities you just mentioned. Do you have any other activities that you would recommend for really the littles? Because sometimes it's easier to get them out and sometimes it's harder. It's lying down, it's melting down, it's kicking, it's screaming. They don't want to leave their mega blocks or whatever they're doing. (laughs) So do you have any specific invitations you like? It's always an invitation and it can go and, you know, sometimes we have invitations that kids accept and it plays out just like we picture in our minds. Most of the time, though, (laughs) it's an invitation that's a beginning and then kids take it from there. And that's the goal, right? That's the process is theirs, not ours. We mega blocks is interesting because you could also bring some outside. Totally. And, you know, if you have a porch, you have a stoop, you have whatever you got, you know, bring your mega blocks outside for a little bit. Also, little people love tea and like warm things to drink and a little bit of a treat. So if you go out for a little bit and then you have a tea party, if it's warm enough, that's always a fun thing because it associates a really pleasurable experience with being outside and it's fun. And you can bring your favorite stuffies or your favorite whatever and have a little Winter tea parties, one of my favorite things to do. My kids are now are all six and up and they still love to do it. And we still do it because there's just this human love about having something either sweet or warm or something to do outside. So those kind of imaginative rewarding experiences are great to weave in. I also love anything sensory for little people, something that just engages your senses because that's often where they start. They start less with the imaginative entry point and more with the hands-on 
senses for the little littles. But that's where the ice, the treasure painting the snow, if you have snow, you may not have snow. But if you do have snow, you can take food coloring. And if you have squeezy bottles, or even if you just have a mason jar and poke a few holes in the top and you can sprinkle oh my food God. coloring water, you make it rain colors on the snow. And it's a, for little ones to see the impact they have, just mind-blowing excitement. Now, if you don't have snow, you might have a white bed sheet that's old or an old towel or something that you can pretend is snow and just go outside and paint it <laughs> or whatever. And if you don't want to ruin your sheet, you can use liquid watercolors that wash out just as a place to start. I have a question for you. Since you've started this, since you've had kids, what do you see in your own children that has impacted, like, since this is stuff that we want to now implement with our little ones, and now that you're at, like, in the 6 to 11 category, what do you see? Yeah, I'm thrilled to see their yes and thought process continue without me there to prompt them. So, and they'll do it then in their own play together, um, but they'll also do it when they hit up on a problem to solve. We do a lot of projects and problem solving and just in general, they love to bake, they love to make, but they're very independent. Mm. And frankly, I think pandemic helps push them there too, because we had to work. Right. We were here, but we were kind of not as, I mean, they were home and the first, gosh, the 2020 phase of that spring, there wasn't really much school either. So it was kind of like, okay, let's see if this all, if this has been working because, you know, and, and they did a lot of taking cardboard boxes and turning them into things. And, you know, they just did a lot of generative creative play. And I do think the more you have these early experiences and you let kids run with things and you give your invitations and you sort of just gently let them go and let them take the lead, they will learn to do it. And it's quite amazing to watch it play out. I also learned that their different kids are different. So one thing you should always think about, especially in winter, I think it surfaces even more. And sometimes in summer, mm-hmm. the extreme seasons is that different sensory systems are different. And we think at Tinker Garden, we talk with families about everybody having a sensory cup, sort of an imaginary internal cup or holding for sensory input. And different senses may have a different type of cup, but let's take the sense of touch, for example, or temperature and comfort. For some kids have a pretty small sensory reserve cup so that if they get a lot of input, they can overflow and get overwhelmed. That would be my youngest who gets cold and loud noises and is a little too much for her. And then my middle child, they have a huge cup. Like they will roll in the mud and they want more and more and more. So if I had based my on either one of them, You know, you really do need to get to know your child and trust them to seek out the kind of experiences they need, but make sure that you give them enough space to get what they need. Even myself, I've learned that I need, I need to run or I need to, that's for me works, but whatever it is that you need to go out, you need to get up and not sit all day and move your head and do these things. So I think bodies need things and brains need things. You just have to get to know each child for the amount and the type that they really need. What are some specific benefits of getting out in winter versus like spring or fall when it's kind of easy to get out? You know, it's like, oh, it's guys are swimming, guys are sailing, you know, we're all getting outside. Definitely. I mean, and if you have your home with kids, with little ones, you do know that they're different creatures when you get out versus when you don't. And that looks a little different for each kid, but it is true. And I think winter, so whenever you're outside all four seasons, 
that same conversation we were just starting to have about senses, that the outdoors is a really special mixture of stimulating to our senses and waking us up and kind of activating our brains, but also calming us. And indoor environments don't have, we can simulate it. We can get plants, we can get windows, which is like we've tried to do here. And you can get some of the way there, but it never quite matches the ever-changing organic winds blowing, smells, like all the terrain's different, like all the things that happen when you step in a natural setting that wake you up and calm you down at the same time. And so the teacher hat on, if I could have get my students to be both alert and calm, right? I would have done anything, you know? That's pretty amazing mixture for a little body and brain. So outside all four seasons offers that. Outside also offers sunlight, which is actually really important for regulating our bodies, for our sleep patterns, for vitamin D levels, for like very important core health things, which are more important when you're young even than when you're older because your bones are growing and your immune system's growing. And so getting that kind of sunlight is actually quite important and helpful. Even though our bodies are, you know, used to winter being less sunlight, getting no sunlight's not great for kids or anybody. So that's a really good thing if you can build in some time where you're getting natural sunlight Fresh air is also really good for us. And when we think in this current context of, you know, being able to connect with other humans in person, it's so much safer to do that outside than it is to do that inside right now, especially for our littles who haven't, you know, gotten vaccines yet. Like there's still a group of us, you know, there and as it, you know, that's why we're so excited to be able to convene still outdoors. Our winter classes kicked off yesterday in parks around the country and we feel comfortable welcoming families to get together with protocols in place. But, you know, that seems like a safe way to play and kids do need to see other humans. And so I think because of that outside right now in winter where inside feels less comfortable and less safe at times, it's just all the more wonderful that we have outside spaces. It's so amazing. How did Tinker Garden grow from just being in in Brooklyn to being in all 50 states? So it just started as a personal project. So I was, you know, and I put on our Yahoo group in the neighborhood, hey, anyone interested in just I'm learning about this stuff and developing a curriculum, anyone want to come out and, you know, do some stuff with us. So we did that. And then more people wanted to come out. And there's a wonderful program called Brooklyn Forest School that was starting at the same time, collaborated with those guys. And it just was a sort of, and Richard Louv's book had been out about Last Child in the Woods. And I think there were a growing number of people sort of thinking about wow, kids and outside, this is important. So we got a lot of interest locally. And then I couldn't teach all the time. So I hired some people to teach. And then we had someone in Central Park who was doing it. So we were starting to get experience with how to train other people to do it. And I started blogging about it. So we just set up a Squarespace blog. And I would just put up what I did each week. And people around the country kept writing to us to say, can I do this in my park or my neighborhood? Like I want this for my community too. So Brian, who is the technology side of things, was like, well, wait a minute, there is a you, there are yous everywhere, teaching play, you know, this is very then ethos that we see a lot of people interested in, how could we help people anywhere do it? Could we remotely train people? Could we remotely, could we send materials to people? Could we, you know, create a platform where we could, like a marketplace in a way where we could match families in a local area with their leader and make sure that everybody could find each other and get together in the park. So we just like put it out there in some Facebook groups in San Francisco, found some amazing people and trained them (laughs) on Zoom. 
and it worked. And so then it was like, well, what about Boston? What about Seattle? What about, and then it just sort of organically, we made it possible for anyone to do it anywhere. It's amazing what happens in your favor when you're doing something for the greater good and for the community. Really, truly. That's awesome. It's a really Mm. local experience too, because you have people who are really passionate and and amazing in their local area. And they can say, well, for my weather, for my families, for my kids who love X, Y, Z, we'll take this curriculum and we'll lean into this or that. But also you have really different ideas and mindsets. And as we know, across the country and people are and we try and make sure that it's everyone's welcome. Everyone can find mm-hmm. genuine local community connection. And I think it helps that nature is a place where as long as we continue to make sure that natural spaces are accessible and we break down barriers because they're there. Right. But if we can work on a very local level and we can really work on our own, you know, showing up for the work of making sure that everyone feels comfortable, coming to Tinker Garden feels recognized, feels valued for who they are then you can create these really super warm, intimate little groups that are also part of this bigger thing. And I think that's what's made it really powerful is that families find friends and find company in this, you know, as well as... Oh, and we're all seeking such community right now. Yeah. Mm Because it's such a lonely... It can be a lonely time. So what an opportunity. It's a lonely time beginning. And then I think it just became a whole lot lonelier with the fear of pandemic. So all the more need when your people are little to find other people to parent with and to like lean on and share interests with and for the kids to connect to. It's just, that's to me the most rewarding part. And it's really how it started. It was me getting all these people there, you know, together, come do this with me. And, um, yeah. And I think that's still what it is in every town, every city that Tinker Garden's in. And one thing I really like about it, and also just about getting outside in general, whether it be the winter months or other months, is that we're also facilitating a connection between our children and the environment. Like, that's so wonderful. Like, not only are we building community, sidebar, my local leader lives one block from me. I looked up who was my local person, and it's uh, my neighbor, Hadley. Anyway, so it's building, <laughs> who I'm excited. Maybe I can get to know her better if I do Tinker Garden. So we're building community, but we're also, like, ensuring that there are going to be people growing up in this world who are invested in the yes. in Mother Earth, in the world around us, the nat- natural world around us. Yeah, one of my favorite thinkers in the connection between kids and nature is named David Sobel. I love so much of what he's written, but one of his quotes that I will probably not nail, but the idea is we have to give them the chance to fall in love with the earth before we ask them to save it. And I think how little kids fall in love is that they just love hard. They smell, they touch, they feel, they live out in community with plants and animals. And a lot of what we do is think about our bugs as our tiny friends and objects from nature as nature treasures and our trees as our teachers. You know, there's so many different things you can do to with just build in the mindset that you know, we have relationship to all these things and that this is a wonderful place to play and be. And I also love this whole idea that you don't need much. You have what all that's there is all you need and you can bring to it so many adventures and so many awesome. imaginative, you know, and I think that will counterbalance what we talked about at the beginning of not know what to do and it's open-ended. It's like, no, it's always open-ended. And outside you can always have an adventure Ah. with, you know, these very simple, amazing objects that are always there for us, you know? So true. And it's like when kids are like so tiny too, you know, you buy them all these toys, all these things, all these gadgets, and all they want to do is, you know, 
Get in the box. Eat leaves. <laughs> Absolutely. And play with the box. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. yeah. And there's even this great study that they, I think it's from Italy. It's in one of our blog posts. I believe it's an Italian study where they looked at a playroom. They had kids interact in a playroom that was full of toys and a playroom that had like three toys in it. And, the, and they coded for creative play. And it was like so much more creative in the place that had three toys of course. than the one that was full of toys. Kids were like overwhelmed and didn't. So we know, I feel like we know, it's kind of like what your grandmother always knew. It's like, well, we know this stuff, but it's just getting back to less is more. Outdoors is such a home, you know, and, but there are things that get in the way. So if you have some help and you have community and you have a little bit of structure to figure out what to do out there. That's often all that you need when you've got little people to sort of build the family culture around it. And then kids really take it in from there. Megan, where can our listeners find you and find more information about Tinkergarten online and out in the world? Absolutely. Well, certainly just you can start by Tinkergarten.com. There, from there, you can find lots of things. So you can find our blog, which is linked at the bottom. Also, our activities. So under it's listed under parents, but really parents, caregivers, any kind of grownups, We've got content for you. We've got free activities that you can do and you can search by season, age, skill, all sorts of stuff. We also have classes. So if you do have a leader in your area, or even if you don't and you want to join in with a Tinker Garden leader, which is what we call our teachers, you can tune in. Our winter season's just starting. So there's time to join in, but you can join in. We have all four seasons. We offer classes for kids ages one and a half to eight and the grown-ups in their lives. Wonderful. Thank you for that. And thank you for being here today. We loved having you. Oh, thanks for having me. It's so much fun. We'll see you outside. We will. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, Megan. Stick around. If you're a parent, I invite you to join us at the Mindful Mama podcast, where it's all about becoming a less irritable, more joyful parent. With sometimes hilarious and always thought-provoking experts and friends, at Mindful Mama, we know that you cannot give what you do not have. And when you have calm and peace within, then you can give it to your children. I'm Hunter Clark Fields, and I can't wait to see you there. Listen in to the Mindful Mama podcast. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility and joy. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. Ah, Megan Fitzgerald. Woo. Thank you. It's so funny. Like, you know, I'm looking at the window right now and I'm so inspired by the activities that she suggested. Sometimes it's so hard just to get my kid out the door. Mm. And then once he's out there, he has the time of his life. But it's like (laughs) getting him out is crazy. Right. So to be able to say to him something like, 
hey, look at this. I have, you know, tea, whatever that may be. Maybe it's just warm milk with a peppermint tea bag in it for a couple of minutes. Uh, maybe it's hot apple cider. We love hot apple cider around Ooh, here. Yes. But I can set up, to, it'll take very little preparation to just set up a little warm thermos and a waterproof picnic blanket of some kind, mm-hmm. get bundled up, bring out some of his stuffies, and have a reason to get him out there and make it kind of special. Make it be, first of all, we're building memories. He's going to love that. And also it gets us outside, get that fresh air, get that exercise. And once we're out the door, that's when we stay out there. For me, my challenge is getting him out the door. And then Mm -hmm. once we're out there, we have a great time. Mm -hmm. So I love those little tools she used, little incentives to get them out. I love just the idea that they only have to be outside for two hours a week. I mean, obviously more is is great, but as a minimum, of course, yes, 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 yes. And especially if you have working moms and dads working from home right now and they don't have the time or if your kid has any physical challenges or like uh, health challenges, at least, you know, that, you know, just getting them out two hours a week. Come on. It's great. I need it more for myself, really, is that yeah. if all I need is two hours, then that can be done. Because sometimes when it's cold, all I want to do is bundle myself up. And stay in. In my household. I don't yeah. want to go out. But then, but just like the kids, I get outside, that fresh air hits me and I'm like, oh, well, let me just... You know, I can take another lap good. around the park. And it, I think it's it is all about like giving yourself the permission to say we might only be out there for 15 minutes. You don't have to tell your kid that. But in your mind. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right. We might only be out, be out there for 15 minutes because like most things, sort of like housekeeping, you ever do that trick where you're like, oh, I'm going to set the egg timer for 10 minutes and then I'll just clean for 10 minutes because then I know I have an end point. I have a goal. I have a light at the end of the tunnel and you start to clean. Then that egg timer goes off and you're like, you know, I'm just going to finish up what I'm doing. And all of a sudden your living room is picked up. And you're like, no, oh, that, I just tricked, you don't trick your brain. That, that never okay. happens for me because usually when I'm cleaning up, it's usually for a reason because I wait to the very last minute. Oh, people like, are coming. Uh, they're in oh. the elevator. <laughs> Actually, I do. I mostly panic clean. But that that little <laughs> trick is really great. And I feel like that we can use that same trick to get ourselves and our kids outside, which is like we only have to go out for 15 minutes. Like yeah. we only have to go out for 15 minutes. 45 minutes later, suddenly you're opening up the basement door, getting out the, you know, the, I don't know other sled or whatever you know Mm -hmm. and that's awesome just give yourself a little incentive to get out there also the food coloring she's talking about different colored snow is magic to kids and i bet that would be so good too for little little ones my son is five now but when he was like a year and a half say he would go out anyway i mean he he was one and a half the world was his oyster but um but to get out and to change the way they see the world through little tiny things like that how beautiful that is. And it's just going to, you know, make it that much more special. I love that. And I completely forget this all of the time because I get into my like mom isolation box. Yeah. But I love people like Megan Fitzgerald and Tinker Garden and the fact that her brain works in this way where she comes up with this idea clearly out of the love and the passion that she has for children's edu- education. Yeah, and the, and bringing the outside back in. And and knowing, yeah. you know, and having all these credentials to like get her to a place where she's just like imparting all of this knowledge onto us. I'm just like, oh, right. There's an expert for that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which is great. And, and just remember that list we were talking about in the first part from Harvard Health. <laughs> it's sunshine. It's exercise. It's also executive function. The skills mm. that help us plan, prioritize, troubleshoot, negotiate, multitask, creativity. And it's about having them use all the different muscles in 
their bodies yeah. and introducing risk into their life, which is important for them. They mm-hmm. need to know that they're going to try hard things and that they can do it. In that Grazia article we mentioned earlier, there was a quote by a Norwegian sociologist named Gunnar Breivik, and he says, I believe that children have the right to freeze from time to time, to hmm. be hungry once in a while, to get scratches, and to bleed a little. He even argues we have failed as parents if our children haven't broken anything by the time they turn 18. All right, take it easy, Gunner. <laughs> okay, Gunner. <laughs> but I think my, my husband would you. have a heart attack if he read that quote. I would. I would definitely. I would definitely. I don't need you to break anything. A scratch or two, I'm cool with. A little bit of blood, I'm good. Please, no Don't break blood. anything. Yeah. <laughs> I broke my ankle sliding into second base in sixth grade. Oof. Yeah. And it was the best part about it, which I think those of you who have broken things in grade school can agree, everybody's signing your cast. Oh, yeah. Oh. That used to be a thing. When people came to school with cast, you'd be like, yes, where's my yes. Sharpie? Where's my Sharpie? What am I yes. going to put? What oh, yeah, she likes. Or And you write like the S. What is the S? The S thing. You know, the S thing. It's like the three lines, the three lines, and then you connect them. And it makes like this like S. It's called the S thing. Anyway, never mind. What? I'm looking it up after this. Okay. I don't know what that means, but I like it. <laughs> or you do the thing where you would write it in a circle. You would write your message in a circle. You'd yes, start in yes, the yes. middle and then you'd be like, hi, oh, Hillary. Man. I am so sorry you broke your leg falling <laughs> off that horse. K-I-T. Ha ha. L-O-L. We're in class right now. You don't have to K-I-T. And then suddenly your circle script sentence has covered it's their whole cast. So big. And then someone complains like, oh, God, Molly wrote all over your cast. <laughs> And I'm like, we're best friends. <laughs> There's no room for me to sign There's it. There's no room Fine. for one jerk. And then you're ostracized for the rest of sixth grade. That's it. Anyway. <laughs> uh, thank you all so much for being here. We loved having Megan Fitzgerald. Thank you to Megan for being our guest today. Thank you, Megan. Yes. A uh, lot of great takeaways. And I can't wait to get my kid and myself outside, not just in the winter. We're talking spring. We're talking summer. We're talking making the outdoors part of our life, wherever that may be, whether it's your patch of life, if you have a, a you know, a park outside your apartment building or <laughs> whatever you can do, uh, or taking a walk, having s- missions, having scavenger hunts, getting the food coloring out to have a lot of fun with uh, your outside. Uh, you're going to have a great, great time for sure. Hey, listen, look her up. Look up Megan Fitzgerald on Tinkergarden.com. See if there's any Tinkergarden groups in your area that you can join in on. And then she's got some great tips and activities on her website as well as she mentioned yes if you listen to podcasts on spotify i do i do uh, they now have a function they kicked it in a couple months ago where you can rate and maybe even review oh let's do that let's uh, do it. so yes if you listen to your podcast on spotify shoot us a little rating or review we'd really appreciate it and hey we'll see you here uh, next week same time same place take it easy Real truth alert, pregnancy, birth, and having a baby isn't all sunshine and rainbows. I wish it were, but the reality is that many people struggle and suffer through this time without the right help or even knowing what they're dealing with. I'm perinatal psychologist, Dr. Katayun Kayani, also known as Dr. Kat. My podcast, Mom and Mind, aims to shine a light on the difficult reality that so many hopeful and new parents experience and raise the volume on how we can better support mental health, which is a big part of our overall health. 
Episodes include personal stories from people who have healed through things like pregnancy and postpartum anxiety, depression, PTSD, and so much more. I also talk with specialists and experts who explain and educate on these conditions. All of this to support parents to know that they are not alone, that healing is possible, and there are resources that can help you today. Listen into Mom and Mind and walk with me through the world of perinatal mental health. Are you overwhelmed by the things that get in the way of you doing what you want to do? Are you looking for ways to simplify life to better align with your values? Do you want to create space in your schedule so you have room for more of the good stuff? Play, joy, relationships, gratitude, and more? If you answered yes to any of these questions, I invite you to check out Edit Your Life, a podcast to help you edit the unnecessary from your life so you have more room to enjoy the awesome. Through episodes with me, Christine Co., and a range of super smart, compassionate, and thoughtful guests, you'll come away with big picture insights and practical ways to declutter your home, schedule, and mental space without getting bogged down by perfection. I have always believed that small moments and actions matter tremendously. My goal is to help you find agency and space in your life through doable baby steps that will leave you feeling accomplished instead of overwhelmed. Check out Edit Your Life wherever you enjoy your podcasts.